When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, I'm Doug Allen on the Hollywood Raw podcast. We're talking a little bit about Entourage. Is it going to happen again? We're talking Victory, the podcast, which I'm doing with Kevin Dillon and Kevin Connolly from Entourage. And I got a new podcast, Hollywood Ways with Breezy from All American that you got to check out. So please, the trailer's live now. And Hollywood Raw, check it out. All right, guys, this episode is sponsored by Herd App Marketings. Now, you've heard us talk about the Herd App media team and all the reasons we chose to work with them and how far the Hollywood Raw podcast has come in the last few months with much more in the pipeline that we're very excited about. But Herd App Media is only one part of the Herd App organization. Let us say one of the reasons we chose Herd App, it was their reputation as one of the premier search engine optimization agencies out there. Search optimization, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the practice of optimizing your uh, website, podcast, YouTube views, or anything else to be found as high as possible in the Google search results. Heard at Marketing serves the marketing needs of companies of all sizes, from mom-and-pop shops to S&P 500 corporations. They work with nearly 3,000 business locations in 43 states, and this was the tipping point in the decision for the Hollywood Raw. So we knew that growing Hollywood Raw meant partnering with a media company that also had a full marketing arm, and that's what Herd at Marketing brings to the table. So Herd at Marketing is not just SEO. They are a full-service marketing agency with literally every service under one roof. There is nothing outsourced to partners like a lot of the other big agencies do, and we mean everything, social media marketing, web design, content marketing, video production, branding, creative, SEO, SEM, local SEO, all the SE whatevers, they have the team in-house to meet your needs and ours. Yeah, that's why you see our TikTok blowing up. Uh, we are getting ready to launch a whole new website, and they are the power behind the new stories that we found on our website. They literally do it all for us, and they can do the same for you. So if you have a company that needs more customers or know somebody who needs new customers, you know by now that the internet is where you're going to find them, and Herd App Marketing is the company that will get you found more often than your competition online at herdatmarketing.com. That's H-U-R-R-D-A-T marketing.com or give them a call at 877-662-4443. What's up, buddy? Uh, what's up, dude? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm you know, I'm looking forward to today. Look, I, here's the thing. Entourage was such a freaking huge show. To have the creator stopping by our show is pretty unbelievable right now. Yeah, we got Doug Ellen, the creator of Entourage, on the show. He's got his own uh, great podcast, Victory the Podcast. Two, and, two great uh, yeah, podcasts. Two. And he's got Hollywood Ways that's coming out. Very excited for this. He's someone I wanted on the show for a long time because he did a show. You know, we say on this podcast, we humanize Hollywood. He did a TV show. That mm-hmm. humanized Hollywood. That showed how Hollywood really was. How I would LA was. Say, it not only did it humanize, it kind of exposed the douchiness oh, yeah. of Hollywood. It's definitely exposed, uh, you know, from the agency side to the PR side to the celebrity side to the news side. I mean, and it, you know, from working and being in the entertainment industry, that's not bullshit. That's yeah. really how it is. Like it is. People are that crazy. Hustle, it's a game. It's that wild. That's what. That's the wildest part about it. And then you have a show where 
you know, again, we all had this debate, which character would you want to be? Do you want to be Vinny Chase? Do you want to be Turtle? Do you want to be Drama? Do you want to be E? Do you want to be Ari? And they had such crazy characters and also insane cameos on the show. Like everyone wanted to be on Entourage, you know, like it's, yeah. you know, so I'm excited to talk to Doug. Um, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, uh, you've missed out, but I'm happy you joined. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy you're tuning in with us now because we are the number one. <laughs> I just I'm, I'm waiting for it. What are we? Number one, what? We are the number one anti-air pollution podcast <laughs> entertainment news genre out there. So again, if you listen to other podcasts, you, you are promoting air, air pollution. pollution. So we are the number one anti-air pollution celebrity news podcast in America and out in the world. If you haven't listened to this podcast, Dax, tell the people a little bit about this podcast. Yeah, so kind of like Adam said, you know, we, we try to humanize Hollywood. It's kind of our thing. We We both worked in this business for so long. And got to see like this background side of Hollywood, Adam being a cameraman slash photojournalist in uh, in New York, me working at, at a couple of the biggest entertainment sites on the planet for so long, you get to see this like backside of Hollywood that no one talks about. And and I don't want to say we necessarily expose it. I think we just talk about it. We, you know, we say like, this is what really happens here in, in LA and in New York and behind, you know, behind the scenes and it's fascinating. Every every time that like Adam is at a party or at dinner and he starts telling his stories, like the entire table's listening. And so it got to the point like, well, we need to do this on a podcast. And so not only do we talk about the the other side of Hollywood, but we also invite people to come on, celebrities and paparazzi and media moguls and kind of anyone in the industry to just tell it how it really is and knock down that fourth wall. And we've had some really amazing guests on here, you know, from social media stars like Bryce Hall. We've had Mark Cuban, who's a billionaire. We've had Tony Robbins, who's another billionaire. But we've even had like Fred Mahungawunga, who runs media takeout, you know, and uh, we've had people who own paparazzi agencies and we've had paparazzis themselves. And so we just try to kind of go around the gambit of everyone and we get some amazing stories on our podcast. That's what I can say about our podcast. Yeah, it's a really, really cool, fun listen. Uh, I make sure you guys tune back to our, our older episodes. Uh, we got It's so diverse, but you got to remember, if they're on the show, they're interesting. And that's why we have these people on this podcast. Before we get to Doug Ellen, uh, the creator of Entourage on this podcast, we do a thing where we read your reviews live on air. The best thing you do to support this podcast is leave a review, five-star only, say a few kind words. Um, it helps out with the algorithm. How? I don't know, but that's what they tell us. Um, so, uh, I don't know how the whole algorithm is such a bullshit word. No one knows what really what it is, but hey. But you know what? Us. The reviews do help out a lot. They like they push help us up out the chart. A lot. People yeah. then have visibility of our podcast, which means more listeners to our podcast, which means it uh, it, it helps us in the long run. Yeah, so uh, Dax, you have a review ready. Please read someone's kind words and five-star review. This one is from Shesh of Fine. Shesh, uh, how do I say that? She, so oh, fine. she's so fine. Oh, wow. she's so fine. That was she's good. She's so fine. She's nice. So fine. Uh, it says, if you don't follow this podcast, you are truly missing out. I love, love, love this podcast, and I'm always excited to hear what they are bringing each day with five stars thank you she's so fine appreciate so that nice i really appreciate it. again leave a review five star only if you do that we'll read your review live on air we also do this thing which uh, we're going to get to where actually if you we do a, it's fan question roulette now you don't know the people we have coming on this podcast but if you dm us send us 
uh, your videos of you kind of doing a selfie video of asking a question to a celebrity. They could be ridiculous. They could be fun. They could be itching. They could be curious. Uh, we will actually ask those questions and play those videos for the celebrity. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's a fun little uh, part of this it's show. because we don't know what's coming up. Our producer, no. Pat, throws them in for us and uh, just plays them on air. And so we're hearing it for the first time live with the guest. Yes, very exciting. With that said, Dex, tell us about our guest today. All right, our guest today is the creator of one of the biggest shows in HBO history called Entourage. He's a host of the Victory Podcast and also a new one called Hollywood Ways. Doug Ellen, welcome, buddy. Doug, thank you for doing this. This is obviously an interview I've been wanting to do for a long time. You, obviously, your background, your history. We On this podcast, we've had the celebrities. We've had the publicists. We've had the managers, the bodyguards. We've had all different dynamics because we always say we humanize Hollywood. So for you, for you, who's someone who did a show that kind of did that as well, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you. I want to start with the most recent news. Obviously, we saw the video recently. Um, and I'm, so we're going to start a little backwards. I saw the report that the whole Entourage cast is ready for a reboot. Where does that stand as of now? Nowhere. I haven't heard from HBO. So until, uh, you know, that's really like, you know, if HBO wants to do it, I think now everybody's in. I think I was the last one who was like, I don't really want to do it. But um, since we've been doing this victory, the podcast I've been doing with Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon, and we've pretty much brought everybody back on. It's been great. So uh, but it's an HBO thing, you know. W would it have to be? I'm, I'm just just out of my own curiosity. Does it have to be HBO or like could Netflix at this point come in and say, hey, we want to do it. We know how successful it is. We'd like to get everyone together if HBO isn't going to step up. I mean, it's hard for me to say how HBO is anymore. They used to be really protective of their brand. Now HBO Max is kind of a, a free for all a little bit, you know, so uh, I couldn't tell you. But um, at this point, I haven't heard from anybody who's uh, jumping in and, and putting up the money. But I, I feel the tide has turned. It's It's been pretty wild since we started this podcast. I've seen the younger generation really find both the show and the podcast and um you know, I, I think there'll be a time that they want to do it. And if they do, great. If not, you know, it won't happen. So obviously Mark Wahlberg had a lot to do with this show. Have you, you know, the last thing I think you said was, you know, we're waiting on Mark Wahlberg. And obviously if Mark Wahlberg possibly greenlights this and says, I want to move forward with this. Do you feel like if Mark Wahlberg agrees to this and says, yeah, let's fucking go, boys, like you're going to have a better chance of getting the show on air again? I mean, to be honest with you, I was I was half joking when I told TMZ. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if Mark wants to, you know, if Mark really wants to call HBO and go, it's not about him greenlighting it again. He's not going to write the check. But if Mark wants to call HBO and really push it, it, it would obviously have a, a lot bigger effect than me doing that. But um you know, uh, I haven't even spoken to Mark about it and have no idea. You know, again, I've really I've been focused on the podcast and other things I'm doing, but kind of the the swell of interest got me thinking. And, you know, it's kind of the challenge, too, of all these people going, oh, how you can do that show now? It's so PC. It's so this. It's so that. So that challenge kind of uh, interests me more than anything else. So, yeah. Do you feel like you guys could get away with? as much now i mean we live in i don't i don't look, i don't look at things like that you know we were talking about it on the podcast yesterday you know i, I watched super bad and stepbrothers this weekend i mean which are both movies that i love but entourage is tame next to the stuff that's being said in those <laughs> sure. shows i i find it actually it's it's kind of a weird thing the way entourage entourage was a really critically acclaimed show it wasn't you know uh this tna show that people now like to present it at so um 
there's nothing to get away with. Obviously, when you know you guys are doing Hollywood stuff, everyone knows in this town that Entourage was a very realistic look at Hollywood in 2003 through 2010. And if I was ever going to write anything, because that's how I write, I would do it as realistic as possible. So obviously, a, you know, a guy like Ari Gold is not walking into his office and insulting people with homophobic comments and, <laughs> and, and potentially racist comments. But that was real. And that was how it was. And I think most people who watch it who aren't overly sensitive people know this was a good guy with a big mouth who was trying to almost be a, an entertainer while really looking out for everybody. And again, that doesn't, number one, it doesn't excuse, nobody should speak like that. But number two, I don't have to answer for that. I wrote characters. I didn't speak for myself and I don't speak like that to people and never have. So, um, and as I always like to tell people, as I said to TMZ the other day, it was President Obama's favorite show. Like, I mean, we were supposed to go to the White House and watch it with him. Now, he probably wouldn't say that in 2021, but maybe he will again in 2023, because I think, you know, what always happens when there's kind of a progressive movements, which are good. It's important that we all become more inclusive. We all become nicer and we all evolve. But sometimes there's overcorrections. And I think that, you know, some of the stuff that that's gone on with the sensitivity of what you can even eat or how you can wear your fucking hair. I think that it's gone a little extreme and, you know, we'll hopefully get back to a place that's reasonable while still better. You know, that's the hope for me. So yeah. how many episodes for the, you know, if Entourage were to continue, how many episodes do you have? <laughs> do you have anything written or is it I just wrote some idea? Stuff. I, I, I got a bunch of stuff. I mean, I could quickly get out a, a, a ninth season, probably, you know, like we did eight seasons. We did a movie to be honest with you. I didn't even want to do the movie. Um, you know, I was kind of checked out and done. And um, like I said, this podcast has just been, it's like when you get together with your high school friends, it's just been like, wow, I forgot how much I love these guys and how much fun yeah. it was and all of that. So, and it's um, awesome. You guys are doing like live shows now I saw, which is really cool. And the, uh, yeah. the audience is just excited to see you guys together, tell stories. And it's, uh, it's cool to see yeah. the entourage back together. Really? Yeah. You know, it, 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 I mean, it was so cool. We did a show at the Brea improv, which I think, uh, you know, I believe HBO is going to start getting wind of all of this stuff, but you know, it was like a test run. They're like Sunday at three o'clock in Brea, California. Let's see how you guys do, which is probably an, in, you know, an empty place normally. And we sold out the place. And what was so interesting about it was the audience knew the podcast as well as the show. They weren't just there for this nostalgic show. They know the characters and the things we talk about on the podcast. Um, so that was very cool. And we're going to start going around the country and potentially the world. We've got offers to go to Australia and the UK. Um, and it was just a lot of fun, you know. That's so dope. Why did the why did the show obviously did the movie, but why did the show come to an end? Like why? They canceled it. I mean, no, wait, are their, you serious? yeah, yeah. It was their most popular half hour by a lot, by the way. And they decided they don't want to make it anymore. So they told me pretty, you know, last minute that. You know, eight more episodes and then we'll call it a day. And, you know, the movie came about because various studios and Mark, who was great, um, wanted to make that happen. But that was not HBO either. They were involved in it, but it was really Warner Brothers that pushed the movie forward. But to me, I never wanted to make a movie. It's a TV show and not that there haven't been some TV shows that made great movies. And, and not that I even am apologizing for the movie. I like the movie. I think we, we came out a year and a half later than we should have because of various reasons. And I think we were... You know, the Me Too movement was really uh, it wasn't even there yet, but it was. And you can see it in all of the reviews of the movie 
which was very similar to what the show was. It wasn't like it was some radical departure, but um, most of them centered on, you know, a bunch of, who cares about a bunch of rich guys chasing women. And, um, you know, that that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. But timing is everything. If HBO Max was out in 2015, 16, and that movie came out on HBO Max instead of in a theater, it would have been wildly successful. So, um, but as I said, I never thought we should do it as a movie. I thought we should have done another season. So I'm trying to remember, did you come into TMZ the day that we shot scenes for the movie? Probably. Um, you know, to, you know, I think I remember. Yeah, probably. But I, I honestly, everything's such a blur. We were all <laughs> over the place all the time, you know, but TMZ was TMZ was really good to us for throughout the run of the show, you know, and uh, still are. So it's nice. Yeah, yeah my, you put a TMZ my, my camera got, guy on the show, yeah. My, my part yeah. got to the uh, the edit room floor. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so how – yeah, when you uh, – how hard is it to sell – you know, obviously with Hollywood Ways, your new podcast that's coming out, you guys talk a lot about Hollywood, your stories of Hollywood. How hard is it for people at home to really understand to sell a script, to get a project, to get even the pilot, to get a movie into production, like – it is. I mean, it is a world of hell. And there's a few people, the Spielbergs, the Wahlbergs, that maybe can get things done with a snap of their fingers. For everybody else, it, it is a grind. I mean, I have a, another show I'm working on uh, with Thierry Henry, the, the you know famous footballer in Europe. And, um, you know, that was going a year ago. Pandemic kits. Ted Lasso comes out, which is a football show. And, you know, maybe it'll go, maybe it won't. But Entourage took over three years. And, you know, I talk about a lot on on both of the podcasts, which is, you know, even even like looking at, you know, I'm doing the podcast with Breezy from All-American. I sold a show with Baron Davis 10 years ago. That was Baron's story about being a kid from South Central who went to um, Crossroads, which is a private school in L.A. You know, similar themes. So, that idea has been around for a long time and who's going to execute it in a way that the proper network wants it at the moment they want it. You never know, you know? So uh, it is always a grind. And one of the reasons I love what's happening with the world right now is that it is so much easier to go make your own products. You guys have this show. I have two podcasts. Like I don't need to answer to anybody. I don't need to ask permission from anybody. And uh, that's an exciting time. And, you know, when you see what Rogan's doing and uh, you know, the caller daddy girls, uh, girl, um, it's, it's, it's a great time for creators to kind of you know, evade the system, which, you know, while we like to say now things are moving forward and it is more inclusive, it's still at the end of the day is a small group of people who are determining what people are going to get to see and what they are not going to get to see. So, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right with that. You know, I, I, it's funny that you say that it's still a grind because I would picture for someone like you that has had mm -hmm. such success that you walk into a room and they go, well, shit, yes, let's let's green light whatever you got, because you yeah. clearly have been able to make the recipe of a successful show yeah you know what you th you would think that would happen but even you know after entourage i did a show called 40 with michael rapaport michael imperioli and eddie burns it was a fantastic pilot but you had the president to hbo who determined what he wanted to put on and you can see some of the crap that he put on he did not put that on and um it was pretty shocking at the time because i did think i got to that point where Listen, even if you don't love it, let's give a chance to see what happens. So um, that's not always the case. And different 
people lose their jobs and all of a sudden a new executive comes in who's got different visions for that. So it is um, it is a lot of stuff. And you have to um, if you want to succeed in this business, you have to continue to grind on a daily basis. For me, writing was never really the thing that I loved to do. I started out doing stand up and, you know, Obviously, you can't make the type of well, you could if you're Rogan, but you can't make the type of money doing a podcast that you can do in a, an international television show. But it is a much more enjoyable life for me now. And I've, I've kind of found that I love this. So while I'm still doing some TV and movie stuff here and there, if, if, if things go, they go. If they don't, they don't. So but I think for people who really do want to succeed, you have to just keep going and not take any idea as your best idea, because you never know when your worst idea is going to be the one that hits, you know? Yeah. What is your writing process like? Do you just sit in your office and just drink coffee all day? Or like, how do you kind of do your thing? Cause it is, there's a lot of discipline to it, you know? And yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Well, you know, some, how do you as, do it? as most, as most, a lot of writers, I think will tell you it's, it's, and a lot of people in Hollywood, this is a, a, a town full of people with ADD procrastination issues, et cetera, et cetera. So, my writing process, which when I was doing a show or I have a deadline on a movie script, very different than when you give me the freedom to do this. For instance, you know, you guys know Seinfeld when they were writing the, the pilot and George and Jerry are sitting there. All of a sudden Kramer enters. He's like, oh, I didn't know you guys were working. And they're like, no, come in. That's kind of similar when you text me and like, hey, want to do my podcast at 9 a.m. when I'm supposed to be working? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, I could do that. So um, discipline is absolutely key. Again, I, I'm not at that place anymore. When I was 26, I was waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning and trying to come up with ideas. I don't do that anymore. I should, by the way. It's not. It's not um, but if you really want to be a writer, that is the thing that you have to take it like it's a job. Even if you're working at a, you know, a restaurant at night, you have to wake up in the morning, like you're going to work and really put in the time and the effort. It just does, you know, it does not come easily for almost anyone I know. You know, so on your podcast, you guys did this, the entourage was for eight seasons. Have you guys talked about on the podcast, which one was like maybe your favorite episode to film or to rewatch or any of that? Because I'm, I'm always curious when people look back at their body of work, if there's a certain episode that you're look really proud of. You know, it, it's weird looking back now at the show, which is, is very cool to do because I don't I didn't I didn't watch it after it would be done. You know, I spent so much time on it then. So now with this with this victory, of the podcast, we're watching them over and we sit down the me, Dylan and Connolly and we watch them. And now I can watch it like I'm not involved, which is, is pretty wild. But when I look back at things, I look more at the accomplishments of what we pulled off rather than, oh, wow, I wrote something good or I didn't. You know, I mean, I shot at Yankee Stadium. I had my children, my high school best friends and their children, and I owned Yankee Stadium for several hours. I mean, that's pretty special. And the U2 concert on my birthday, Bono saying happy birthday to a character that I created was just, uh, those are the special moments. Having James Cameron and Martin Scorsese and Tom Brady and Mark, Matt Damon on sets. Um, those, those are the things that I look back at. I don't really look at back at the writing too much, you know? Yeah. And speaking of all, I mean, you just named some huge people that did appearances who was probably like the hardest celeb for you guys to land on that show um well it was the first one was was Wahlberg you know we didn't know if he was going to show up you know I mean first season it was really hard to to get people and and Mark I wrote him in early and he and he showed up obviously and Mark delivered for you know Mark was just such a great 
producer and 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 really enabled us to get so much stuff from Tom Brady to Martin Scorsese, et cetera. But um, you know, I don't think anyone was that hard to land. There were just people. You guys were talking earlier about Michael Jordan. There were just people that just didn't respond to us. I wanted Michael Jordan. I wanted Tiger Woods. I wanted Jimmy Page. Um, and and the, we just couldn't get him. Russell Crowe. But um, usually um, the people we got were were excited to be there. You know, Tom Brady and LeBron James. They they were psyched to be there. You know. Who was the one celebrity that you were so close to landing, but it didn't come through? Like it was like it's about to happen, just schedule wise. Like they were supposed to be on the show, or they're you were very close to getting them on. I don't, th- I, you know, I don't know that anyone was that close that didn't show up. But we thought we were going to the White House to watch the show with Obama. I mean, Ari Emanuel, who's Ari Gold, Jeremy Piven is based on. His brother was chief of staff and Obama loved the show. And we were supposed to go to the White House and watch it with Obama, which was going to be the the coolest thing of all time, obviously. And then, you know, something more important happened. (laughs) You know, God (laughs) knows what. I don't remember. But (laughs) but that didn't happen. So that was one of the the biggest moments of something that I thought was going to be really special that didn't end up happening. So. You know, and with Ari Gold, like there's always been rumors about some kind of spinoff with him. Is that, was that ever close to actually happening? Or, no, no, no. I mean, not with me writing it. No. I mean, you know, Jeremy, who I begged to do the show and was the best person on the planet earth for that character. And um, the show was about friendship to me. Like when I was first, brought it by mark i was like i don't want to do a show about hollywood who's going to want to watch that and obviously hollywood was very prevalent in the show but what interested me was these four new yorkers these outsiders their pov of what hollywood is my view of it has not changed since i think the town is filled with a bunch of you know low-level douchebags and i you know i i just i wanted to portray that from the way i grew up which was you know middle class i don't want to portray it as something that it's not but middle class and and kind of an outsider i didn't know anybody in hollywood and you know i have watched every type of betrayal and all of that stuff and what i wanted to have is a core group of friends who are like my friends that i grew up with um that really stuck together no matter what and obviously the hollywood stuff you know gives it this great backdrop and a lot of business stories but to me that was the show and i don't want to watch a show that solely focuses on the business of hollywood so that's actually why i think this show is so successful i remember when this show came out and the trailer came out about the show i was like man this show is going to be a hit and i remember the sun i I believe if i can remember the show came out on a sunday night and i remember the first episode everyone had all my buddies had to run home to watch the show because just the premise of the show was like man this show this this is what you want your life to be you want to go hang out with your friends and kind of live the life and be in hollywood it was just a cool thing to do and then also the characters in the show everyone had that debate at home which character would you want to be would you want to be e would you want to be turtle would you want to be vinnie chase like it was you yeah know, so it was sort of like that vision like you know like it was just a hit at the it was a hit before the show even started but for you as a guy who created the show did Right away, was the show a success? Was it hit for you guys right before it started? I mean, not at all. I mean, I'm look, I'm a I'm a negative neurotic Jew, and I see <laughs> the negatives of everything. I had, I had, I made two independent movies before them. Forget whether they're good or bad. They were both picked up by studios, released worldwide, and that's a rare feat. And it, I did it twice, and both those movies not only didn't help me, they might have hurt me because once they were released, like they were major studio films and didn't make the money that people expect, which is a lot of the stuff I talk about on Entourage, 
things were not great for me. So entourage happened when I was, you know, at a low point in my career and I sat down and I was like, legitimately after making two movies and selling probably 10 scripts, um, I was thinking about going back to law school and um, I sat down and wrote a Curb Your Enthusiasm spec, which is crazy that Curb is still going strong, but because um, it was my favorite show. So I wrote a script for that and I gave it to uh, my manager, who is you know also Mark's manager. And they called me up and were like, hey, we want you to write this show, um, which didn't really have much of a premise except, you know, friends in Hollywood. But um, once we came out, I was waiting for stuff to to fall. How's it going to go bad? The president of not the president, but the woman I was dealing with at HBO called me up the night before and was like, just so you know, we do very, you know, HBO was a different place. It was like, you know, the Emmy central, you know, and she said, uh, just so you know, we, we usually do really smart things tomorrow. I don't want you to take reviews personally tomorrow. And that's how I went to sleep the night before we aired. And when we came out the next day, the New York Times said we were the smartest show on TV, which was wow. pretty wild. And the reviews were pretty unanimously great. That lasted in my head for all of about five minutes. Then I was like, <laughs> all right, now we got to make this thing work. And honestly, into season two, TiVo had just come out and people didn't understand that the way ratings had changed and certainly variety and everybody else didn't understand it. So they were comparing it to what sex in the city was doing three years ago and it looked terrible. So when we were shooting the Vegas episode in season two, I was legitimately curled up in a bed because these numbers just came out from season one. I'm like, we're, we're getting canceled any minute. <laughs> and it was kind of right out of the show because Chris Albrecht, who was the president of HBO, who made this show go and happen, called me up. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, how am I doing? The numbers are fucking terrible. We're gonna, you, are you going to cancel us? He was like, what are you talking about? We got a hit. You're going to go as long as you want to go. And and I, for a minute, I felt good. I walked out to the pool at the Hard Rock and everybody started yelling turtle at Jerry. And we didn't even realize that there was this kind of audience that was watching it that we didn't even know about. So that was the first time I felt really good about it. But that also lasted about five minutes. And then, as <laughs> I said, you know, Chris left HBO. A new guy came in who from the minute he got there, you could tell the show wasn't his type of thing. And he was just kind of waiting around for his chance to kind of end it, you know? Yeah. I think I think my favorite part is these characters on the show and how true to life they really are for people that aren't in Hollywood. Like you said before, there's a lot of like douchebags running around Hollywood can kind of controlling the narrative and all of that kind of stuff. Did you ever have anyone come up to you and say, I know that character was about me like and confront you about it? Because I know you you had someone in the back. To be of honest with you, what we're. What was so great about it is people really wanted to be portrayed on the show. And, you know, Ari Emanuel could not have been prouder of Ari Gold. I mean, he used to walk <laughs> around and tell everybody that was him. And, um, you know, I think a lot of especially agents, they thought it really showed what they do. And I think, you know, a lot of people aren't self-aware that maybe they are that douchebag and they think I know that guy and, you know, it's really them. But, um, you know, I think that, we were very fortunate because you make a show in Hollywood that people think is garbage. You're walking around town and you would feel bad, but we were very lucky that the town really embraced the show at the time. Um, so it, it was, it was nice. 
when you do a show like this, you know, I think in the back of your head, like you said, you're a neurotic Jew. I think we all are, at least yeah. on this podcast, <laughs> three neurotic Jews. I feel like in the back of your head, it's uh, you got to have the the point in your head where you're like, how do, how do I not make this show jump the shark? You know, and it's like, fuck, I don't want it, to. It's got to be in the back of your head. Do you think at any point during the eight seasons of Entourage that the show jumped the shark? And how do you kind of get that out of your head that it hasn't jumped the shark? You know, I, I mean, I've, as I said, we've been watching, uh, we've been watching the show, doing this victory, the podcast thing. I'm up to season three, like episode 10. I'm enjoying it. I'm like, so far, I know there was a point where people started saying whatever they say. And so far I'm loving it. I, I, you know, I know some people, I did like a dark season where, you know, the character Vince started doing drugs. A lot of people hated that. I wanted to do something different, you know, um, whether it worked to people or not, that's for them to decide. Do I think there was anything I did on this show ever that was unrealistic or not based on reality? No, because I really, every storyline I took was inspired by something, even that Vince story, which was inspired loosely by Charlie Sheen. And, you know, we had Charlie Sheen on the podcast and he, yeah, Charlie watched 96 episodes and a movie within a week of this show. Cause he'd never seen it. And he, you should check him out on, on victory, the podcast, but he was talking about how he was watching it. Like it was his life. And he was like, don't do that, Vince. I know it. And don't make that mistake. <laughs> so, but I know some people didn't like that, but, um, you know, uh, do I take anything back? No, I always, there was not a second in the eight years or the movie of that show that I didn't bust my ass to make it as good as possible. I didn't think jumping the shark, but I always thought, how do we make this good? And how do we make it different for some people that worked for some people? It didn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah I mean, you've had some amazing guests on your podcast besides Charlie, who do you feel like, you know, was a, a, a huge fan that stopped by and has been an amazing chat. I mean, Mark Cuban, Cuban was awesome. Yeah, the Cuban episode was awesome. Yeah, and I mean, you know, since you since you were, uh, you know, Shark Tank helped your business and your career. I mean, Mark said on the podcast that Entourage got him Shark Tank, and he credits us with that. So that was pretty cool. So I should uh, be thanking you for my yes, business. With and send me some <laughs> checks for that. So thank you, Doug. Yeah, but we've had some cool people. Obviously, we've had all the entourage people. But aside from that, we had Julius Randle from the Knicks, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. who was, you know, top five MVP candidates and DK Medcalf from the Seahawks and Andrew Whitworth from the Rams and Jordan Belfort, who I grew up with, the Wolf of Wall Street, um, you know, which there were a lot of elements of entourage and Wolf that kind of crossed over. We had a good discussion about that. And, you know, I saw wolf of wall street with jordan before it came out and before entourage came out and i was a little worried i'm like oh, i hope it's you know entourage isn't too vulgar i was actually the one while warner brothers was pushing an r rating that wasn't something that i needed but we did it but when i saw wolf of wall street i'm like oh we're tame but uh but still like i said you know for whatever reason, because Entourage is like this light, sugary thing. Some people decided guys can't talk like that and people can't do this. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But did you put out the request for Obama yet? Yeah, you know, he's got giant podcasts himself now. So, you know, I, hey, I don't think you never know. He's if, like you yeah. said, he's a, a massive fan. There's a good chance he'll stop by at some point. I mean, it would be pretty it would be pretty wild, you know, and uh, on the new one I'm doing, which I'm doing this Hollywood ways thing with with Breezy. I'll have her I'll have her reach out. So it's probably more more uh, endearing coming from her than me. <laughs> <laughs> As a show's creator for Entourage, how much was it your opinion or decision on the casting of the show? Um, you know, Mark and 
obviously had, you know, as much say as I did, but pretty much, you know, he was very great with letting us do what we did, unless there was something he hated. Like when I wanted to kill Vince in the season eight finale, (laughs) I wanted to end the show with Vince's death. And, uh, that was probably the biggest moment Mark came in creatively and said, are you fucking crazy? You're not killing him. We're going to make a movie. We're going to make an opera. We're going to make a cartoon. We're going to do all this <laughs> stuff. So, um, but you know, I had a huge hand in casting it and uh, you know, um, Mark Wahlberg's manager, Steve Levinson represented Adrian and Jerry. So he brought them to the table and they were perfect for it. But um, Kevin Dillon and Kevin Connolly auditioned and Jeremy was uh, written in my first outline as the guy that I wanted to play Ari. So so I'm, I love asking people that are successful this question, but you being a creator, a podcaster, how many times a day do people come up to you and try to pitch you their projects? Like, are you just what you're in Starbucks? You're like, God damn it. Here comes another person that wants to get me to help them with a TV well, show. Well, the good news in the world now, there's good and bad news is, first of all, I don't leave my house that often. Forgetting the pandemic, I was not into that anyway, which is why um, you know, this, this business probably wasn't the right business for me in the 20 years that I grinded it out. It's much better for me now. Cause I can do a lot of my stuff from home and I can get it out there to everybody. But I get, I mean, I get 50 DMS a day from people who have a script and it, what's wild to me is that they all approach me thinking that nobody else does, you know? And, uh, um, so I have, if I open my things right now, I'll have someone who wants to send me a film or a script or this and that. Do you ever go through them or it's just like too much white noise? You can't even, I don't even work myself on my own scripts right now. I mean, (laughs) you think I'm going to read these scripts off of Instagram. And the funny thing is like, people will tell you, you know, I have my friend, Scott Lavin, who I, I, Scott Khan played my friend, Scott Lavin on the show, but he called me up. He's a lawyer and he called me up. He's like, Hey, my friend, I'm going to send you my friend's script. And I'm like, did you read it? He's like, why would I read it? I'm like, why would I fucking read it? What are you talking about? You're, <laughs> you're an estate and trust attorney. Do you want to do free wills for my friends? You know, so um, people don't understand that it's a time consuming thing to read a script and the odds of a script being good, even when it comes from the best agencies in the world, most of them suck. So it's really a difficult process to find something and that's not to discourage anybody from doing it. I had to do the same thing when I was coming up and I made short films on my own and I would hand them around to people. And I'm sure I annoyed some people also. So people should continue to do that. And like you guys, you sent me a message. I'm like, all right, why not? You know, like what are we going to do? But, but uh, no, it's, it's too much time to read every script that comes in from around the world and, and hope that you got a great one, you know? Yeah, so sure. so what is your advice to someone who's trying to make it in Hollywood? They're doing these DMs. I mean, I've been one of them that just, you know, tried every different way. What is what is your advice to someone trying to sell or create a show or be in show business? Or well, I think, you know, the simplest thing and look, there are some people who are just writers. You know, I never saw myself as a writer. I always saw myself as some type of weird hybrid of a performer, creator, writer, director. So I made a short film when I was 21. I was out here for six months. I did everything I could to beg, borrow, and steal to make that. And I think, especially now, you know, we just had some guys at the office yesterday. We did a a little film festival for our podcast where we, you know, brought people in. And these guys, you know, they made great stuff, but 
they made it. They put it up online. And, you know, you can get a feel. If your friends don't like it, it's probably not something that you need to send to <laughs> professionals, you know. Um, but I think the beauty of today is you can make things really cheap, really inexpensive, and show off your creativity. It's different with a script. As I said, again, especially for me, I have a hard time reading anything. So even uh, even my own scripts, when I'm supposed to read them over, it's it's a difficult process. So I think that people who want to make it now go out and make stuff. It doesn't have to be expensive. Show whatever your tone is. You know, with this short film festival we did, we had everything from horror to comedy to romance, and they were really good. Some talented people in, in three minutes. So I think one of the hardest things in Hollywood is like, landing a meeting it's sometimes you you know you right place right time you get the meeting what was the most surreal meeting that you've ever been in throughout your career um well i was lucky enough that i got an agent and i had written this script and i got a call that harold ramus wants to meet with me harold ramus who's one of my idols who wrote animal house stripes um, I, I don't know if he wrote Groundhog Day, but directed Groundhog Day and is considered one of Ghostbusters, one of the great comedy filmmakers of all time who sadly has passed away. But um, he read this script that I wrote when I was 23 and, and brought me in for a meeting. And the really surreal part was, first of all, he didn't buy the script, but he said, you know, he said the first 20 pages are really great <laughs> and that's 110 pages i was like all right well can't you buy you know it and fix the rest <laughs> of the pages but he said to me he goes you know really put a focus on your craft because it's there it's raw it's not ready but i feel like it will be and that was something I used to tell all of my friends. I sat with Harold Ramis, who who he didn't buy my script. He didn't like it enough to think it was something to make, but he saw something in me. And when you find someone who is that smart, that they're able to see through the, you know, mostly garbage, because I've looked at that script since, and I wouldn't have taken the meeting with me. Um, and about three years later, I was at a restaurant and I was walking around telling everybody how how Ramos read my script and he liked me. And so we're sitting at this restaurant and there's Harold Ramos across the way. And I'm with about five people and they're like, go, go say hello to your boy. I'm like, I'm not going to fucking bother. I had one meeting with the guy three years ago and he walked out of the restaurant and stopped by our table and said, Hey Doug, how you doing? I hope you're working hard. And you know, I do try to, the best of my ability to engage with people that again, and I'm really not saying this to be humble. I'm not Harold Ramis or even remotely close to the talent level that he had. And I probably would not have the brain power to remember someone three years later, like he did, but it was a moment that stood out for me to really try to think about how you can help a little bit, which is why honestly this new podcast I'm doing with breezy, we're going to do lots of interactions and lots of calls and I'm far better at talking than sitting down and reading your script and, and debating whether, you know, somebody else is going to like it with writing. It's very much like I write my own stuff. I hope other people like it, which plenty of times they don't. Um, But, you know, I think it's important for everybody that makes it to try to try to help the next generation a little bit, you know? So on a scale of zero to 10, what are the chances that you'll say hi to me when you walk past me at the restaurant? I mean, I mean, I would like to think, honestly, I'm almost 54 now. So I am like forgetting a lot of people, you know, and even when when you popped on the screen, I'm like, do I fucking know that guy? And with the belts in the background, I'm like, is he a professional wrestler? Like, what's happening? You know, so 
If I remember you, one million percent, I will say hello to you. So as I said, I don't have Ramus's brain power, but if it if it stays with me, I will say hello. What a, when you sell a script in Hollywood, average? What you know? What's is there? I mean, maybe there's not even an average, but how much does some a script just sell for? Even if it doesn't get made into there, a movie, there, there's no there's no number. I mean, there's scripts that have sold for several million dollars that have never gotten made. You know, um, you know, I think there's minimums for people in the WGA and stuff, but I've sold, I've sold 30 scripts, uh, 23 of them are never like they're sitting in a shelf somewhere, you know? So that's the, that's the job though. And, and that's why for a writer, a lot of writers come out, they write one thing and they feel like that's it. You got to just keep going and you got to not take that idea and hold on to it. Um, and if it goes, it goes, I mean, entourage, entourage took two and a half years. I mean, and if you want to know what I was paid there, what HBO would graciously gave me, they gave me $50,000 to write that pilot. And after almost two years and 20 drafts over and over with notes about every little detail of this thing, I said, guys, it's been two years. I'm, I'm literally working at less than it's not even close to minimum wage. Can you help me out? And they sent me a check for, I think, 2,500 bucks. And I was like, Go fuck yourself. So <laughs> it, it, it is a, you know, it's a feast or famine business. You know, you can, people can make a ton of money and there's a lot of time where you're making no money. So um, that's why it's another thing for people who are thinking about getting into this business. You should not be getting into this business thinking about money. It is just not the, it's not the right way to go about it. And it most likely is not going to enrich you, but. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, Doug, we play. We play a game on here called Fan Question Roulette. All right. We've got our, our, our fans submit questions for celebs not knowing who's going to be on our show. They just have yeah. to send us a video. We haven't even and seen And not the knowing video. that you don't have a celeb on the show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what we do is we have our producer right now who is uh, behind the scenes. Play the video for all of us. And you answer the question. Are you down to play with us? Sure. All right, Pat. Give us our first. Hi, I'm Danielle. I'm from Florida. And if you could have any other career in the world, what would it be? I mean, that's that's easy. I'd be I'd be in a band. I'd be the lead singer in a band, guitar player, lead singer. You know, after that, Nick's point guard. Now, neither of those I have no. (laughs) You know, I don't have any shy. I don't have any Jake Paul way of getting myself into those uh, scenarios. But uh, those those would definitely be what I would be doing. But what kind of music now? I mean, I like rock or even though uh, piano, I could be, a, you know, I, I would be an Elton John guy. I'd be happy. I'd also be a Robert Plant guy and be happy. You know, um, I have this weird fantasy of doing a, a duet with Taylor Swift one day. I know that's kind of fucking weird, but, uh, you know, I, I uh, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I, I am a terrible singer, by the way, but I love singing. My, my girlfriend, I drive her fucking nuts in the car, but I like it. All right. We got one more. Thanks. And now uh, let's go for the next one, Pat. My name is Beth Lucas. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and I want to know what your favorite kind of pizza topping is. I'm a, I mean, I eat a lot of pizza. I'm like depressed every day that Portnoy took what I should have been doing with my life. That would be my third choice for careers, reviewing pizza. That being said, and I've eaten anything. I'm not shy to eat things. I like traditional pizza. You know, I don't like to add a ton of stuff on top of it. And um, you got me thinking about pizza now, which I'm now I've gone 20 days without pizza and it's not easy for me. So all right, the age old question, 
pineapple on top? Yes or no? I mean, definitely not. I'm not saying <laughs> I haven't eaten it, and I'm not saying I won't like ingest it. But no, it's ridiculous. I agree. I agree. Last thing, we do a speed round on this uh, on this podcast, so it's just quick answers, whatever it comes to your mind. So let's uh, let's get to it. Which Entourage cast member was always late to set? I don't think we had a lot of late guys, to be honest with you. Um, no one stands out to me. What about okay. which one knew their lines the best? Uh, I mean, we had some good guys, but Connolly, Dylan. I mean, Jeremy talks about it because I would give Jeremy two-page speeches. And Jeremy has talked about on our podcast that, um, you know, he doesn't have the best memory. So it was real work for him. And there's not a lot of TV shows where people would have two page scripts, you know, I mean, two page monologues, but, uh, but Connolly, Dylan and Jerry, definitely. I can't remember them ever not knowing every line, you know? Yeah. Um, do they, what do they actually, when turtles smoking weed, is it actually weed or no. what is actually no, smoking? No. What no, is I mean, it? It was illegal back then, but it was some, some form of light tobacco, but uh, I mean, not something that you want to ingest anyway, but, um, it was not weed. Maybe okay. today it would be. What's the best restaurant in L.A.? Oh, God, that's <sighs> Craig's, Medeo, Din Tai Fung, which is this dim sum place that's amazing. But my go-to spots are really Craig, Medeo, John and Vinny, Craig's, Medeo, John and Vinny's, um, Pops Bagels, Courage Bagels. I ate a lot of bagels and pizza, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's the new yorker in you bud yeah uh what's the uh most overrated restaurant in la the one that you just it's like everyone goes you're like why, why are we here uh i don't know you know i mean honestly we've been in a pandemic for a year and a half i barely go out so my my restaurants are like i don't want to i don't want to overrate anybody you know i don't yeah, like yeah. anybody's business but um but uh i i don't know i don't know okay what about the one place you will always see a celebrity Craig's Craig's yeah agreed for sure Beverly Hills uh, Hotel Craig's okay uh best celebrity pickleball player well again I'm not I'm not a celebrity um but I I I uh put myself right up there in the uh in the uh <laughs> I mean I'm just thinking about who I've seen play but you know I've I've definitely beaten uh Phil Mickelson Russell Wilson um I'm trying to think who else Bill Rancic from, uh, you know, Apprentice fame was a great guy. But uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think who's who's really good. I mean, the tennis players are starting to play now. And I, I play with, with a bunch. Sam Querrey is unbelievable. And Stevie Johnson. Um, uh, so they're, the tennis players, once they spend a couple of weeks focusing on it, will all start to dominate that, too. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, last question. What is the one food everyone loves but you can't get into? I eat everything. So what, like, uh, huh. You know, it's weird. I mean, I'm not a mustard guy, so it's weird as a New Yorker. Like yeah. I'm a, I'm a ketchup guy on a hot dog, but uh, you know, mustard is something I don't like, but I, I don't know about a, I eat most things, you know, that's, I mean, yeah. that's a fair answer. A lot of people yeah. like mustard. You're not into way, it. I, I saw you play pickleball in someone's house. Whose house was that that had that pickleball court in their house or something like that? Just a friend of mine. Who's, he's, he's a builder. He built some incredible houses. Um, I, I, I don't even know if he likes his name mentioned, but he, okay. he, he built the Kardashians' house and uh, Stevie Cohn's house. But it's, it's a beautiful house in the desert. And the, the court, you know, which I posted on my Instagram, yeah, is yeah. one of the most amazing rooms in the history of the universe. Like a man cave, like we all dream of having that Vince Chase couldn't have 
have afforded, you know? So <laughs> sick. So, cool. so my fun. last, uh, you know, last I just want to talk about the Hollywood Ways podcast. Obviously, that's coming out. Very excited because some of the stuff you're talking about here, you're going to be talking about on your podcast. What can people expect? You know, we all know Victory, the podcast, where you guys cover yeah. Anthrosh. But about the, what would what should the people know about Hollywood Ways podcast? Well, I'm doing it with Breezy, who's a rapper. She was on Empire. She was She's on All American now. And it's just two very wildly different perspectives of two people who have similar values at the core. Um, and she is just a star waiting to happen. I mean, she's already blowing up. But um, we're going to talk about everything from – you know, all of the stuff that we're talking about now with an inclusiveness and PC culture and all of that stuff and, and, and how it relates to both of us and our journeys. But it's going to be fun. We're going to bring a lot of cool guests on and we're going to talk about our favorite restaurants and things like that. And different than victory, victory is a hang with your, your boys, you know, like if, if, even if you didn't watch entourage, I think you would get into victory just listening to the three of us hang out and you would go, okay, this is my friends, you know? Um, so this is going to be, Hopefully have a vibe like that as well, a friendship thing, but more of a informative ways to find your way into this business. And we're going to interact and do lots of call-ins and things like that. So, And, and how awesome. did you guys come up with the idea? Like, how did you link up and say, like, we should do a podcast? So, I mean, you know, it, it sounds nuts, but I was like, I was enjoying the podcasting so much. And I'm like... I'm not saying I'm getting there. I'm not trying to be anything, but like Howard Stern's my idol. I fucking love him. And I said, I need a female co-host. Like I just need someone who's got a cool vibe, cool energy to give, you know, I'm from entourage is the guy's guy, whatever bullshit that they, they label me with. So I wanted to find a great woman to have a really cool perspective. And weirdly enough, my friend that just called me, his name's Ted Foxman. I said, I don't even know where to begin to look. And he said, I just met, this woman who's on this show, All American, she's cool as hell. I had never even seen the show. And we had lunch and we just instantaneously just clicked. So that's how that happened. Nice. That's awesome. Well, listen, make sure you guys check out this podcast. I'm excited for it because I love Victory the podcast. I'm excited to hear more of these Thanks. stories. It's uh, Doug, I appreciate so much for coming on this podcast. I'm a fan. And uh, it's someone I've been wanting to talk to for a long time because, like we do on this on this podcast, we humanize Hollywood, and you did that with a successful TV series, which is not easy, but made it insanely incredible. So thank you so much, brother. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. So I really enjoy talking to someone like that, as someone who, you know, again, we both try to create content for Hollywood and see her, someone who created one of the most successful TV shows of all time for HBO. It's cool to kind of get his pick his brain about that type of stuff, you know. Hundred oh, uh, percent. It's always fascinating, especially with something that you know. It's not like a little show. This was a huge show huge. that like changed the landscape for a long time. That had massive viewership. That turned into a movie. So it's not like, you know, it's it's not like a one run show. Like this guy really did a, a, a massive job in Hollywood. So I, I like hearing the stories. I like hearing whether he thinks it could come back and that HBO hasn't even called him yet. Like you would think that HBO would be all over, especially if you saw the interest from the stars, you know, jump on it. This is what people are doing. They're like rebooting all these shows, sex in the city, blah, blah, blah. You know, like why not have entourage back on the air? Yeah, no. And um, it's, it's wild. Like he even says like, it's not easy to sell a project, you know, and here's a guy who sold a pro, you know, created a show a great show that even went to a movie and it's still not easy. You think you even get those meetings, but he's still like trying to push projects because it's, you know, it, it goes down to a very few people get to decide who gets to be on. Yep, exactly. Well, that was fun. Thanks for setting that up. 
Yeah, no worries, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, that was fun. Make sure you check out their podcast, um, Victory the Podcast and Hollywood Ways. Uh, we have a video portion of this podcast. It's on. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube, but we are not just on YouTube. We're on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. TikTok, I guess I said that. We're on it all. You can find me at, at Adam Glynn, G-L-Y-N. You can find Dax Holt at D-X-H-O-L-T. Make sure you guys leave a review. And if you leave a review, we'll, we'll read it live on air. Um, we got a website. We got merch. Guys, we are doing it all. We got some huge, cool things coming up. I'm very, very excited for the next few months. Um, and we'll see you guys next time. A Media Production.